Well, good morning. As you may have noticed, we are not going exactly in order because of the summer series that's covering First and Second Thessalonians. We jumped ahead to First and Second Timothy this morning, First uh, Timothy rather. And in First Timothy, what's interesting as you read through chapter one, we'll notice probably as we look around our world today that we find still some of the same problems. Really, we find a lot of it. Any of it would be too much, but we find a lot of it. And as we look at 1 Timothy this morning, you know, just looking at the first chapter, and I'm going to show what we can learn from Paul's exhortation or Paul's encouragement to Timothy concerning doctrine. Now, doctrine is simply meaning the word, the word doctrine simply means teaching. That's why we read in the Bible sometimes sound teaching or sound doctrine. That's what he's talking about, sound teaching. And if one, if, if there's the possibility of having sound doctrine or sound teaching, there's also the possibility of having unsound doctrine or unsound teaching. And here's, here's something to think about this morning as we go through this lesson. Do some today teach other doctrines? Do some today have various different teachings when it comes to the Bible? You think for a moment... Just on your drive here, unless you live just right down the street here, you probably pass several different, quote, church buildings. And inside each one, as we well know, there are different teachings that can be found. But we want to be very clear, our only concern is what is found in the Bible. Specifically for us today, what's found in the New Testament because we could go anywhere and find someone who's probably going to tell us something that we want to hear. But the question is, is it the truth? Politicians, as we well know, are good at telling us what we want to hear. But is it the truth? The Bible tells us the truth whether we like it or not. It tells us what sin is. It tells us the price of sin and it also tells us what's going to happen if we do not change our lives. And we think about the doctrine that we're going to find here in 1 Timothy that Paul is encouraging Timothy to, to not err from because some have. There is a doctrine which saves, the doctrine which comes from the New Testament, and there are those doctrines so-called that will not save mankind. Those things which we, if we listen to them and, and apply that to our lives, it's actually going to pull us away from God. And I'll give you one simple example. If a group of, of so-called members of a congregation teach a form of salvation that is not found in the Bible, if we obey that unfound form of salvation, have we really gained salvation? If we follow a pattern of worship that's not found in the Bible, have we really worshipped God in a way that's pleasing to Him? And the list could go on and on. We find that during the time of Paul and Timothy, many were teaching different doctrines, and no doubt still some are today as well. We also first began looking at the problem in the time of Paul. The problem in Paul's time, we began looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning here in verse 3. He says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, which tells us he has talked about this before, right? There in 1 Timothy chapter 1, looking there at verse 3. He says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. 
Now he's not, he's not trying to pick out some. What he's saying is there are some who are teaching other doctrines, and he wants Timothy to encourage them not to do such things. You notice there that phrase uh, in verse 3 says, so they may teach no other doctrine. No other doctrine, which means there is only one, right? There's only one Bible teaching that we find in the New Testament, especially for us today because we're living under the New Testament. We're not under the law of Moses or anything like that today. So we must be living under the New Testament time period. And so he's saying here in verse 3, charge some that they, that they teach no other doctrine. He says in verse 4, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. So he tells him, that word there in verse 3, that charge means you implore them, you strongly encourage them, don't teach anything else than what you have heard from men like Paul and Peter and the other apostles because they were inspired men, as we know from Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came and fell upon them and them only. And so when they taught, they taught by the Holy Spirit, right? And so their teaching, because they were inspired men of God, their teaching would be coming from God. And so for that reason, we can, we can understand that what they were teaching were the commands of God, was, was the doctrine of Christ. And he says here in verse 3, charge them they know, that they teach no other doctrine. The question is, were there some who are already teaching some other doctrine? I think the answer to that has to be yes, or else why else would he mention it? See, teaching things that are not supported by Scripture is something that has been going on since, you can almost say, since time began. It actually began in the book of Genesis with the serpent, didn't it? Satan was the first one who did it when he spoke to, as we know, there, Adam and Eve, and he spoke to Eve and tells us there in the garden, he twisted scripture. What was he doing? Teaching a different doctrine, wasn't he? You shall not surely die. That's a different doctrine. Because he goes directly against what God had told him, you shall surely die. Right? Looking at verse 4. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. He says here, now notice, we'll talk about what these are here in a second, but you know why he says this? which cause disputes rather than godly edifications. Now, godly edification, now the, I believe the last part there is talking about the genealogies. Giving heed to fables means you don't, you don't fall into the trap of listening to fables because fables are things that are a myth or a fictional story. It means they're not true. They're not accurate. So don't give heed to those things. Don't listen to those things. Don't be drawn in by those fables. And he says genealogies or a lineage. Don't allow yourself to be consumed with such things because there are going to be those who get so wrapped up in them, what's going to happen? They're actually going to begin to discourage one another. Both of these, Paul says, only cause disputes, genealogies, no doubt spending way too much time on those things, and cause disputes rather than godly edification, giving heed to fables, which means listening to things that are false. Well, what's going to happen? Those are going to bring division, isn't it? That's why he tells us there in 1 Timothy chapter, three, uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, I urge you, uh, charge you that some teach no other doctrine. Don't teach anything else. 
That was the command. Now notice here the warning he gives next in verses 5 through 7. He said, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. To love from a pure heart, that is to love out of a clean heart, that is one that is desiring to do what is right and good, the idea of that pure heart. You do things for the right reason. Do people always do things for the right reason? No, right? You have someone who stops and they, they, they change your tire for you, and when they get done, you tell them, thank you, I really appreciate it, and they say, okay, that's 50 bucks. That's from the wrong reason, isn't it? A pure heart. You love out of a clean heart there. He says next, from a good conscience. This is a, self, a sense of well-being. That is, you know what you're doing is right and good, therefore you can what? Have that clean conscience. You ever gone to bed at night and being feeling guilty about something you've done that day or, or having regret over having failed to do something? You don't have that good conscience. It's a little bit difficult to sleep. See, a good conscience is that idea that you can go to bed and you can relax and you can what? Have that clean conscience, knowing that what you have done is good and right. We want to have that clean conscience, that good conscience, to love from a pure heart, from a good conscience there in verse 5. And he says, and from a sincere faith, or the King James says, from unfeigned faith, which means not hypocritical, instead it is genuine. An unfeigned faith, well, a feigned faith means it's fake, it's phony. So if it's unfeigned, it means it's not hypocritical, it's not fake, it's not phony. It's the real deal, as we say sometimes, right? I remember years ago when the iPad just started coming out and people started selling them on eBay and things, you know, watch the details really, really quick, really, really carefully. Because I heard stories and seeing people had ordered things online and they get it, get it in and they get it opened up and it's a board that says iPad on it. It wasn't exactly the same thing, was it? See, it was phony. We don't want a phony faith. We don't want a hypocritical faith. We want a genuine faith, an unfeigned faith, a sincere faith, as he mentions here in verse 5. See, the commandments of God, as he mentions there in verse 4, or verse 5, other says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Love who from a pure heart? Love God from love who from a good conscience and have a sincere faith towards God. The commandments of God move us to a deeper love for God. It brings the sinner out of darkness and brings them to light and brings them to a place that they now have a pure heart, but they now can have a good conscience and begin to show that sincere faith in God, right? Looking at verse six and seven. Instead, we find here, notice we mentioned here in verse 6. He says, for which, from which, and he's talking about, what, what's that from, from which? He's talking about from the faith, from the true faith, from the, from the commandments, from that doctrine which they should be teaching. He says, some having strayed, which means they've gone off a different way. He says, have turned aside to idle talk. Now think about this. He mentions twice in verse 6 to show how a person has gone a different way, has strayed from the right path, right? He says, having strayed, having turned aside, which means they're going the right way, but they decide at some point, well, I'm going to go a different way, and so they stray off the path. 
They turn aside, he says here, to idle talk there in verse 6. He says in verse 7, why? Desiring to be teachers of the law. I think about this today with some preachers. You want to be well known, and so they go off into a different direction, and they start teaching things that are not found in the Bible because it will allow them to gain some popularity. And we find here in verse 7, it says, Desiring to be teachers of the law, and I notice this, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. He's saying they don't even understand what they're talking about, but nonetheless they have strayed down that wrong path. This happened in part, as we find here in verse 6 and 7, because of their desire to become teachers. Their desire was not a substitute for knowledge, was it? You look there in verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law. Okay, the problem is, though, in verse 7, as you continue reading it, they don't understand anything. They don't have knowledge. Why? Because they've strayed away from the true path. They've turned aside to idle talk. So they left behind a good, true doctrine, which is from God, and gone out to, to some other phony, to some phony doctrine, which was not the doctrine of God. Or we might say today the doctrine of Christ. These teachers, we find in verse 7, were ignorant, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they, under, which they affirm. They do not understand their own beliefs. They don't understand what they're talking about. Maybe you might say they don't understand the repercussions of what they're saying. You have some today, and I've heard this just recently, uh, one brother who I knew of in the, knew of in the past, he had turned aside, has turned aside now to teaching that when... Christ comes back in the judgment day that the earth won't be, won't be destroyed and said we'll live on a renovated earth. Which is interesting because Peter tells us when Christ ascends from heaven, what's going to happen? The earth will melt, right? And all the elements thereof with a fervent heat. Because why? Because it's a judgment day, which indicates the earth is gone. How can you renovate something that's not there? Well, you can't. That's a form of deviating from the true doctrine. Notice next, we, we continue reading here in 1 Timothy. Notice next, verses 8 through 11. We find, again, the purpose of the law. We're looking at verses 8 through 11. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. I mean, what does that mean, uses it lawfully? It means they don't twist it. They don't pervert it. They don't try to misapply it. They don't try to turn take it and turn aside and go a different way, right? Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate. Which you'll continue to go on to list your numerous individuals or numerous types of sin. He's saying the law, the purpose of the law was to bring people out of sin and into life. The law of Christ, which is, we would say today, sometimes we say the gospel, we obey it and it brings the sinner out of sin, brings them out of darkness, and brings them to a relationship with God through the obedience of the gospel, right? He says here, it's not for the righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate. Doesn't mean he says it's not for the righteous person. Doesn't mean we stop obeying once we have obeyed. But the purpose of the law was to bring the sinner out of sin, out of darkness, out of wickedness. He says, for the lawless and insubordinate, that is those who will not listen, those who will not obey, for the ungodly and for the sinners, and for sinners, for the unholy and profane. For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, 
for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. If there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, he's saying the purpose of the law was to bring sinners out of sin and bring them to God. The purpose of the law was to bring righteousness to the life of the sinner by obedience to God's command. The law of Moses at this time was no longer in effect. Thus, the law, had to, the law to be obeyed was the New Testament law, the law of Christ. Verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the, blessed, of, the, of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. How do we begin to obey that law? We begin when we obey the gospel. We begin when we hear the word of God, we believe it. We confess with our mouths that Christ is the Son of God. We repent of our sins. We are immersed in baptism, right? We rise up a new person, a new creature, as Paul says there in the book of Romans. We hear, we believe, and we continue to follow the, plan, the steps we find laid out for us in the New Testament. We find, that, uh, we find many of those already just in Acts chapter 2. We find them again also with uh, Saul and his conversion, who we later would know would become Paul. We find it also with the Ethiopian eunuch, when, he, when uh, he was being taught the gospel there on the road to, on the, while he was traveling there with Philip. And after hearing the, the gospel preached, and the Bible tells us there in Acts that Philip was preaching, preaching to him Jesus. And as they traveled, the eunuch said, what hinders me from being baptized, which tells us he knew he had to be baptized. And they stopped, and he went down to the water and was baptized. And there's, that's where he began his faithfulness to the law of Christ. We find the same idea with, with Saul. We find the same idea with the, uh, the Philippian jailer. We find the same idea with those who obeyed in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And we find it over and over and over again, don't we? Throughout the New Testament, we find it. Because all we need is one example, which we have much more of that. Uh, people doing those things and, what, and, becoming, and becoming followers of Christ. Let's continue reading. You think about... Some, some of this similarities we see today when we think about this charge to those there with Timothy to teach no other doctrine. Some similarities today, the same problem can still be found today, sadly. Some have turned aside to a different gospel. In fact, Paul also mentioned there to those in Galatia chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, I marvel, he might say, he says, I am astounded, but not in a good way, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, right? But notice this, which is not another. What does that mean? It must mean there's only one. He says, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and notice and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so for that reason, what must we do? We must be on guard. We must have our Bibles open. We must be those who are wanting to find the truth and be those who recognize it and those who want to embrace it when we find it. Some have turned to different gospels. Some have turned to a social gospel, which is more concerned with relationships and good times than it is anything else. Some have turned to a non-judgmental gospel, which means we don't condemn anything ever. And some have changed or turned to a benevolent gospel, which is more about helping others but not about preaching the gospel. There's nothing wrong with being benevolent. There's nothing wrong with being patient with those who are struggling with sin and trying to help them overcome it. There's nothing wrong with joining fellowship. The problem is 
We find those that are only focused are those things. It's not the truth. The truth instead is not a part of their gospel. Some we know would rather argue over things like dates and locations while missing the weightier matters of the law. If we look at Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24, he calls the scribes and the Pharisees here hypocrites. He says, because you pay what? You pay, you pay your offerings, right? He mentions those things there in verse 23. He says, and have neglected another, but neglected the weightier matters of the law, which he says includes justice and mercy and faith. He says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He says, blind gods, you strain out of the gnat and swallow a camel, which is the idea of saying that you miss the bigger, important things. They're focused on, he says here, they're focused on the, the payment of their tithes. Here speaking this reference to the Old Testament kind of things they were doing. A tithe is an Old Testament term. He says, but you what? You neglected the weightier matters of the law. They were missing the big picture. Thus the phrase, you strain out of the gnat, means they're focusing on the small things, but they swallow a camel, which means they miss the big stuff. Things like he mentions here, justice and mercy and faith. Those are some pretty big things. They were not known, the scribes and Pharisees were not known for being those who were very merciful. They did not have any idea what justice truly was. And their faith, as we find in the Bible, is one that is far from what God requires of us today. We must also, as you think about some similarities for us today, we must fight the good fight. Going back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, looking at verses 18 and 20. He says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may, you may wage a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience which some have rejected concerning the faith, have also suffered shipwreck. Now notice this first in verse 18 before we go any further. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you. What is he talking about? It means he's saying that Paul has prophesied that, look, this is what's going to happen, right? The people are going to do what? We can tell by the context that people are going to do stray from the faith. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. That good warfare is, is the idea of fighting and setting up for what is right and good and, and that true doctrine of Christ and not giving heed to fables, in endless genealogies, right? He says in verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which goes back to what we talked about earlier, what the purpose of the law, that we may love with a pure heart and have a faith and have a genuine faith and a good conscience, right? Looking here at verse 19, he says, which some having rejected, which means what? Some have rejected the word of God. They've rejected the gospel. They've turned aside to something else, which some have rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. If you suffered shipwreck, are you in mortal danger? Yeah. If you are ever on a ship and you, and you wreck, it's not a good thing. And that's why he says some have suffered shipwreck. And notice what he says in verse 20. Of whom, which means those who are in mortal peril, but here it's really a spiritual danger, because they have strayed from the faith. And he mentions them by name, Hymenus. And Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, they may learn not to blaspheme. He's not saying, taking, talking about how he took them down to Satan, or Satan to do, do some kind of wicked things to them. What he's talking about here is these people are straight from the faith. And what's going to happen on the day of judgment if they don't return to God? The Lord's going to deal with them, right? And what's sad is also Paul and Timothy, if, and this MPF relationship with them as well, the same thing would happen. 
Is it because these individuals have strayed from the faith because they have suffered shipwreck, which means they have turned away to a different gospel, which is not another, as we saw there in Galatians 1, 6, and 7, which means they no longer work together doing those things which they used to do. Their fellowship has changed. We might say they have withdrawn from these men. Because why? Because they, are, they have rejected the faith there in verse 19. He says they have suffered shipwreck, which means they have deviated from the one true gospel. So are he going to continue on preaching and teaching with them? Verse 20 says no. Why would he mention them by name, condemning their actions, but then continue right on with them? Because he's not going to continue right on with them. He says the Lord's going to take care of them. But the idea of delivering them to Satan, which means they're going to pay their price, their sin. Which sadly would also include no longer working with Paul and Timothy, unless, of course, they repented and came back to God. Because that's the only way to come back, is through repentance. Some lessons for us today. We do not follow fables, or what I call sometimes fairy tales. Things which are not supported in the Bible, we cannot teach because they're false. One of the greatest lies that mankind has found over the years, the idea that once you're saved, you're always saved, right? And the Bible teaches that, but only in the proper context, doesn't it? You are saved and always saved so long as you remain faithful to God. Revelation 2 and verse 10. Be faithful unto death, right? John 14 and 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. We remain faithful to God. We can be saved for all time. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us that when we make a mistake, we sin against God because we're going, going to. But 1 John 1 and verse 9 tells us we confess our sins to God. He is faithful and just. We give us of our sins and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. In that way, then yes, we can remain saved. But when we deviate from God and refuse to repent, refuse to come back to Him in humble obedience, refuse to confess our sins to God and repent of those things, how can we still be saved? The Bible condemns that over and over again, right? Think about how many times God calls out Israel in the Old Testament, just Israel alone for their sin and their deviation from the truth. How many times did Paul call out people for their sins, right? Over and over again. And Peter and Timothy, because what's he doing here in Timothy? Calling out their error, which was what? Deviating to a different so-called doctrine, which if they follow, they wouldn't be saved any longer. Because you can't teach against God and still be approved of by God. You can't teach foreign things and still be approved of by God. Therefore, we cannot follow fables or fairy tales or things that are not found in scriptures because we will not be doing ourselves any, favor, any favors. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. Notice what Peter says here. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, which means he's saying we didn't follow some carefully crafted fictional story. He says, We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, Peter was legit an eyewitness of Christ, right? He saw him there. He saw him. We know he spent much time with him. So when Peter talks about how they didn't follow fairy tales, he says, we're eyewitnesses. He's saying, I literally saw him with my eyes. I heard him. In Peter's case, he also felt him. We know, for example, one occasion, Christ lifted him up out of water when, he tried to, when Peter tried to walk to Christ. Do you remember? 
He heard, he saw, he felt physically, right? And he says, we didn't follow some cunningly, we did, we did not, nor we can also say do we not, follow cunningly devised fables. We don't follow some fictional story. So Peter reminds us that he was uh, witnesses of Christ, and as we follow his word, we can be assured of that we are doing which is pleasing in the sight of God when you follow the, the, the New Testament pattern we find laid out for us still today. Another lesson for us today is false gospels aim to please men, not God, right? Because if you think about, for, think about for a second, why are you here this morning in this worship service? If it's to make other people happy, it's not the right reason. Let me put it this way. If it's for any other reason than trying to be pleasing to God and learn more about Him and to worship our great and awesome God, then any other reason would be false, right? If it's to please someone else, that's not the right reason. If it's because we want to be entertained, that's not the right reason. But it's because we want to worship God and show our gratitude for what He has done for us through His Son, we go on and on and on. Then, then we begin to understand that's the real reason we're here, right? Look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He says here, As we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now notice there in verse 9, what is he talking about? That any other gospel than what you have received, which is what they have heard from Paul, because Paul is an inspired man of God, which tells us it came from God, right? He says, now notice this verse 10, For do I now persuade men... Or God? Or do I seek to please men? I notice this, for if I still please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. He's saying if I did things just to please others, he's saying I wouldn't be a follower of Christ. Wouldn't that just make him a follower of men? Wouldn't that just make him a person who just seeks to please others instead of pleasing God? See, when we think about some denominations around us today, when we think about why they exist, verse 10 really explains it, doesn't it? Because you want to, when you want to try to attract people in the sense you want to say things and do things that's going to please them, then don't you become men-pleasers? Don't you become those who are, who are actually, your goal is no longer to please God, your goal is just not to make someone upset? Now I've said before, my goal is never to, never to make someone angry or upset, but the Bible doesn't change, does it? I mean, look at, first, look at Galatians 1, verses 9 and 10. Look what he says. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Meaning they're going to be what? They're going to be punished by God. Accursed is the idea of being separated from God. And he tells us why. He gives us that reminder. He says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. Our aim must always be to do that which is pleasing to God. We cannot be pleasing to God if, we are, if, we are, if our only goal if our only goal in life is to please other people. Our goal in life must always be to be pleasing to God. As we close this morning, we would do well to remember that the gospel changes people. The gospel is what changes us. We know today there are some who around us, sadly, in our world today, would like to change the gospel for a host of reasons, right? I'm going to list the long one. 
But the fact of the matter is, the, the gospel undefiled in its truth and its entirety, that's what changes people. If one replaces the gospel with fables and man-made teachings, and mankind will never change into what pleases God, which is a true follower of Him. We cannot become faithful to God, obeying things that go right against what God teaches and what God stands for. This morning, as you think about these things, we've talked about already some this morning about what God desires from us. We're going to become a Christian. We know we must hear the Word of God. We must believe the Word of God and how we must believe that Christ is the Son of God. We must be willing to confess that Christ is the Son of God with our mouths and then from that day forward confess with our lives and at times when needed with our mouths yet again that Christ is the Son of God. And then we must repent. We repent of our sins and then we are, we are baptized for the purpose, as Acts 2 verse 38 tells us, for the remission of sins, and at the same time, we're placing the body of Christ, which is the church, as Paul tells those there in Galatians, Galatians 3, verse 26 and 27, as many, many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And then we remain faithful to God. And when we make a mistake, when we fall short, we confess those things to God. 1 John 1, and verse 9. We know also as Christians that sometimes we make mistakes because we're not perfect people. We're going we're gonna, to... There's always the possibility of times to fall away, to become discouraged, to give up. But as long as there is still breath in our lungs, we can come back to God. We can confess those sins to Him. As the Bible tells us, He is faithful and just to forgive us of those things. This morning, we can help you or assist you anyway. You can come forward now. That's going to be standing and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>